Hello and welcome to the July edition of the EMJ Primary Survey Podcast. I'm Simon Carley and today I'm going to be taking you through the highlights of the edition and talk a little bit about what's going on in emergency medicine at the moment. The primary survey this month is by Simon Smith. He's our quality improvement editor and he'll be looking at developing the QIPs as they come into the journal. But unsurprisingly, pretty much like everything else at the moment, this July edition is dominated by COVID-19. The pandemic continues and it's going to be a main feature of the MJ probably for, for some time to come. So where should we start? We'll start with quality and safety in the emergency department. And we've got two articles this month focusing on this within the ED. The International Federation of Emergency Medicine have produced a quality framework. And in the article by Hansen et al., the authors provide a summary of this document. The article provides an excellent introduction into emergency care and the particular issues with this when it comes to ensuring high quality and safe care at a strategic level. The patient's expectations and the consequent obligations of the system and clinicians are described and the article talks neatly around both the the issues of enablers and barriers to the quality of care, something which I think many of us have experienced over the last few months. Also provides suggestions regarding measurement and activities to support the delivery of high quality care. I think that's really important because there's no point in doing things if we don't also get the data to tell us whether it's working or not. So for Simon and, and for me also, the take home message is that prioritisation, coordination and integration of emergency care is absolutely vital, particularly during these very complicated times. And we need to particularly focus in further work on measurement and demonstration of the quality of care that's needed and whether or not the interventions we do are actually effective. So the Hansen article and the focus there is on strategic elements of quality of emergency care. We've also got an article by Lim et al. And they've written an article focusing on the more operational and the tactical elements of the subject. So this paper describes how the results of a successful QIP or quality improvement project initiative can be sustained. And in this case, over four and a half years later. There was an initial multimodal intervention to reduce unnecessary cannulation in the ED and the successful outcome was maintained. And I think this is this is something I see a lot because I mark QIPs for the college and I obviously work with trainees and colleagues doing them. And it's quite easy to get a project up and running and to demonstrate something through a, a number of cycles. But sustainability is really quite tough. And this issue about cannulation, I think, is something I feel a lot. We cannulate a lot of patients unnecessarily um, and we can define unnecessary by the fact we put a cannula in them and then we never actually put anything through it. So essentially using a cannula to take blood. And that's not particularly good for the patients and it's not good economically. So a really interesting one um, there. So in the discussion, they highlight the um, the different considerations for quality improvement activities. That is, how do you change departmental behaviours and culture and what makes those improvements stick? I think this is really important article, a really important aspect of what we do is we've got to get away from this idea that we can just do a short burst of activity and expect it to continue. There's a lot of science and there's a lot of um, important information on how you sustain improvement and how you sustain quality and high performing organizations are the ones who can do that. So let's move on to COVID. Of course, we've got to go talk about COVID, the mother of invention, if you like, and lots of things changing as a result of that and a great time to actually get things done in some ways. So we've got two papers, one by Jazuli et al. and one by Hugh et al. And they describe the use of box barriers to protect against aerosols. And there's also a commentary by Wells to discuss how both of these papers illustrate the challenge of research during this pandemic, especially the generation of ideas and the need to test these novel concepts. So there are also papers describing some novel processes adopted during the COVID-19 pandemic, including Chua et al. on staff rostering challenges and their solutions. 
and Noble et al. on the deployment of bespoke care areas for COVID patients or accelerated care units, as they call them. There's also a letter describing the experience in Iran, which is one of the early sort of fairly significant outbreaks. Um, I think it's still going on there now, although the data coming out there is a bit difficult to find. Um, uh, looking at screening process there to reduce the referral to health service, including the ED, and we're seeing a little of that coming in the UK now. And it's pretty refreshing to read actually how transparent researchers are being at this time, sharing designs, processes and plans online. So yeah, as I say, it's a great time to sort of do things and make changes. So we've also got two other letters to stimulate thought. First, as we approach dengue season uh, with the pandemic ongoing, there's a diagnostic dilemma of having two common clinically similar diseases which may coexist. And that we may see that in the UK in the winter when we see things like influenza coming back and other coronaviruses. It could be really quite complex. So some good lessons to think about there. And second, the description of an increase in methanol toxicity. Um, ingestion from disinfection highlights the problems of misuse of alcohols during COVID. Then we're going to talk about some more common clinical conundrums. So um, stuff which is you know, familiar to all of us really working in EDs. So this month's Reader's Choice article addresses the conundrum surrounding the rule-out of pulmonary embolism in pregnant patients. Goodacre et al. have performed a secondary analysis on the DIPEP study data to assess the clinical accuracy of the Geneva and the year's rule-out algorithms. This paper is interesting, both statistically and clinically. The sensitivity and specificity of both algorithms were low, a lot lower than some people think, I think. Um, and the authors suggest that P's will be missed using one of these strategies. The clinical effects of missing these possibly small P's, well, we don't really know about that. And the number of radiological investigations that would be avoided by using these strategies is also low. So it's an area which is still fraught with difficulty. Um, but if you want to get better at this and you want to understand the science behind it, then I would strongly recommend reading that paper. And the low success rates of medical therapy in esophageal food impaction are also be familiar to a lot of EM clinicians. And we've got a paper by Willenberg et al, who present a small study of nitroglycerin, interestingly, as treatment in this condition. It highlights the further question of whether using a therapy with a low chance of success is actually appropriate. And then finally, um, we've got an article by um, Itavar Antilla et al looks at the possible reasons for the increased use of EMS services in areas with lower socioeconomic status. There are interesting details within the data and some food for thought in its discussion. Whilst the use of EMS was higher in rural areas than those with lower socioeconomic status, the case urgency was actually no different. And the authors suggest that differences in access to preventative care and increased comorbidity are the causes of this. High frequency users of EMS also drove a large part of the increased use. And to me, that's, that's that idea, isn't it, that emergency medicine usage tells us a lot about society and with a sort of a bit of a canary or sort of a barometer of what else is going on in the emergency services. So a good paper and a good reminder that just looking at raw data and not having some understanding of the explanation of why is really important to look at the why. And then we've got the editor's choice this month um, looking, and I'll have a familiar feel, I guess, paper by Lee, Kwok and Valancourt adds to the evidence surrounding the accuracy of emergency physicians' predictions of patient disposition. And we know many APs will be aware of the evidence on the accuracy of this prediction. This paper, however, looks specifically at prediction of admission only and at the point of referral to the admitting clinician. Accuracy was high, correctly predicting in 92.8% of cases. Of note, this paper excluded the patients whose admission was obvious in paediatric cases. So it is the ones where you actually need to put some gestalt and some brains in. And the paper then suggests that a high total number of hours spent by patients in ED stretchers could be avoided by starting the admission process earlier, thereby reducing crowding. 
In addition, one also wonders whether this would improve patient experience and other quality measures. Great idea, and we've seen it with rapid assessment units in the past. My only caveat with this one is it's great if you can identify people who need to be admitted early, you still need somewhere for them to go. And that's the issue of crowding in hospitals, which this paper doesn't address, but is an important component of that question. So that was July. Lots of interesting stuff there. I hope you're managing to cope with your COVID. Depends where you are in the world at the moment. It's going up in some places and down in others. Certainly in the UK, we're in a plateau at the moment. And we'll just have to see how things go over July and August. But if you are getting back to normal, that's great. Take some of this time to read, to learn and to prepare for what may or may not be a second wave. We'll see you in August. <laughs>